Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. The clock is ticking and time is running into the unrestricted boundlessness of eternity where those once blinded by an ignorant deception can no longer hide from truth. The reality is we don't have forever to decide whether or not to abide in the only God so full of love, he did not hesitate to leave his throne and put on flesh becoming like his creation. To all the nations, he brought hope and peace, if only we'd believe, and just relieve ourselves from the entrapment of the sin we bring upon ourselves when led by our heart's pride-filled desires. He, the creator God, who is in essence love, wrote long ago a story of spiritual healing, a non-fictional tale of reconciliation that would draw near to him a people called out of their alienation to become holy and blessed, a people called out to call out the rest and to attest that there is one who can save us from us. And so I bring now to you a picture drawn in words to place a song upon your heart inspired by his story. I want to write for you this love song, one that surpasses your mere emotions, where the word you hear stirs and prepares your heart for action. Throw off all your inhibition. You were lost, but you are now found. The cost has been paid to reclaim and rename you holy ones, beloved sons, set apart to build up with him his kingdom. I'm going to share with you a love song, where compassion is more than a mere thought of pity, where another's hurt stirs in you reactionary movements to share with them in their pain. Wear kindness on your sleeve. You were not his, but you now are. Before the hands of time had even began, he had a plan for you. You are the daughter of the king, Restrain power within your grasp. Let self bow down to lift him high, so too to lift your brother. Hear now to you this love song, where there's no shame nor guilt, no bad too wrong or fall too far gone to be forgiven. Turn quickly from sin, allow healing within as you quickly forgive, for unto you much grace has been given. Let love now be your call, the one thing above all which makes everything else work together. With uniform intention, let calm reign amidst life's storms. Form gratitude as your newfound attitude. This this love song has been penned just for you. It's a declaration of your identity, of the mercy, justice, and truth that now guide your path. Make wise your choices, lift high your voices, in honor of love poured out for you. Embrace gentle correction, allow for self-reflection, with always a praise in your heart. 
Once far from him, you have now been brought close. So proclaim the name that has saved you. Let it drip from your lips. The Lord Jesus is yours, and you shall not once be forsaken. Share now with another this love song, a sweet redemptive story. Know your reason why you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You deserve nothing, but we're granted all that matters. Make this your song to sing. With heartfelt glee, raise high your praise. Let the nations hear it, let your neighbors see it. Let this love song be your anthem. Jesus is our King, and the great joy which this brings should cause for each and every one of us to sing. So in perfect radiance, we'll bask as we take heed of our given task to go out all about with his love song. We are in, I think this is week five of our series called Lord, Build Your Church. And we are dealing with commitment number four in our church. And it's, it's this commitment uh, to relationships. That as a church, that one of the things that we're committed to is relationship, being in relationship with one another. We want to develop intentional relationships in our church because of what can happen in relationships. Here's a list of what can happen in strong relationships in our lives when we have them. There can be caution. When we, when we have people in our lives who we know, who we trust, they can be a source of caution to us. Maybe we're gonna make a decision and they tell us no, they tell us to wait. There's also challenge. As we are in relationship with unbelievers, they can challenge us and ask us questions that refine us and help us to think deeply about our faith. There can be confirmation and affirmation. Sometimes we're thinking about doing something, and again, another person who we know and trust says, yes, that's a good idea. Go forward in that. There's also knowledge. Other believers can teach us theology, help us understand the Bible, or teach us a skill or a trade. There's wisdom. Other believers and unbelievers can help us see, see a wise thing to do or not to do. This week, we, Kim and I were in this situation. We're trying to figure out, what should we do about my car? If you've seen my car, it's one of the worst cars in Ontario. Like, it's just, there's rust falling off of it as I'm driving. And so we're thinking, like, what should we do? And we, we just started calling people who are, were in, are in our lives. My father-in-law, he's not a believer, but one of the wisest Men, I've ever been around when it comes to financial management. And we just called him and asked him, what do you think that we should do when we're in relationship? We can, we can ask people for help and get wisdom. There's also encouragement and motiva motivation. Other believers can cheer us on when we're tempted to give up. Or they can cheer us on when we've had success. The list is going to keep going. There's accountability. When we're in relationships with other people, they can hold us accountable. They can say, you made this commitment. You should follow through with that. Then there's support. Other believers can help us, carry, uh, help us carry the burdens that we face through life. There's refinement. Others can show us our blind spots and speak the truth and love to us. Do you know that's why sometimes we avoid people? Because we know that if people get real close to us, there's gonna, they're going to see some things about us. And they're going to have to speak the truth. And sometimes we don't want to hear it. And so we isolate ourselves. We back off people. But it's good to have people who are willing to tell you the hard thing, who are willing to tell you the thing you don't want to hear. They speak the truth in love to us. There's prayer. 
When we're in relationship with others who we trust, they can go to the throne of grace and ask God to help us. There's also witness. Witness through relationships with non-Christians. We will have opportunities by the power of the Spirit to tell them about Jesus Christ. Some very good things can happen in relationships. That's why we're committed to them. But here's the thing. Relationships are hard. And all God's people said? Relationships are hard because we let people down. People let us down. We expect a relationship to go a certain way and then it goes the opposite of what we are expecting. Relationships are hard and so we're tempted. The temptation is to isolate, to back off people and not engage. But that is not a good way to live. And in this passage, we are going to see the way we can have strong, intentional relationships. And it's, and it's by these specific, intentional acts that Paul is going to tell us about. Here's the thing. Strong relationships take work and wisdom. To have strong relationships, it takes work and wisdom. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's our first point today. We can be intentional with our relationships by putting on our Christian character. By putting on our Christian character. Paul gives five things. He lists five things that are very important for the way Christians are supposed to relate to each other in a community of faith. But before giving the list, he talks to them about identity. Do you see it? Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He speaks to them about their identity. He says, you are God's chosen ones. That reminds us that in our salvation, God is the one who took the initiative. That he looked on us and in his grace called us, spoke to us, opened our hearts so that we would turn to him. See, there's nothing special about us that would cause God to say, I really want Mark. He didn't look on me and said that there's something unique. It was all grace. And so when we think about our salvation, when we think about the reality that God has chosen us, it's supposed to make us humble. It's supposed to make us grateful that God would treat us in this way. And then he says, you're holy. He says, you're chosen and you are holy. See, we fight sin because this is who we are. God says, you are holy. When we sin, what is actually happening is we're acting out of character. Do you know that? When you choose to sin, you are not being who you are. When you fight sin, you are being like your father who is holy. He says, we are chosen and holy. And then he says that you are God's beloved. Do you wake up every day and, and start with, I am 
God's beloved. How do you start your day? Is it like that? Or do you start with, I messed it up again? Do you start with, there's, a, there's all kinds of people who are frustrated with me. Do you start with, there's all kinds of people I'm frustrated with. Or do you get up, put your feet on the ground, and in this freezing cold wintertime say, I am God's beloved. He loves me. We live our life from that position. We don't do things that God has called us to do because we're trying to get him to love us. We do the things that God has called us to do because he already loves us. We obey God's word because we're standing in grace all the time. See, remembering who we are in Christ is crucial. You're like, why is it crucial? It's crucial because all that we do must flow from our gospel reality. All our living must flow from where we are with God. We are his beloved. So he tells them who they are. And then he tells them the character they have to put on. He says, put on compassionate hearts, verse 12, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Like how we get up on a cold day and put our, you can tell I'm thinking about the cold, right? Put on our hat and our jacket and our gloves. We get up and we, and we get ready for the, the battle of the cold. The same way we put on these things. That is the way we are to put on these Christian virtues. And all of the things that Paul lists are seen perfectly in Jesus Christ. He says that we are to put on compassionate hearts. And that, that having a compassionate heart means that you see someone who is struggling, you see someone who is in a difficult space within the church, and you don't ignore them. You are willing to help them. Jesus showed us this kind of compassion. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There was a time in our life where we, were, we, we did not have a shepherd. We rebelled and walked away from God. And in a lot of ways, we were harassed and helpless because sin had mastered us. And Jesus looks on us and comes towards us. He shows us compassion. And in, in Peter, in, in, in 2 Peter, it says that we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our soul. We are in Christ, and so now we have a shepherd. Then we are to put on kindness, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And this is a sensitivity towards others that's triggered by a genuine concern. A genuine concern for them. Luke 6, 35, it says, Love your enemies and do good. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. There was a time where we were enemies of God, the Bible says. And Jesus looks on us and he did good to us by coming 
to save us from our sin. And now, as we walk in relationship with one another, we are now, by the power of the Spirit, able to be kind and do good to one another. And then we are to put on humility. Humility is the opposite of pride and arrogance. It's a willingness to serve without being seen. It's a willingness to put other people in front of you. It's a willingness to say, you before me. If I never get exalted, I can live with that. That is what it means to be humble. Philippians 2, 7 to 8 says, Jesus took the form of a servant. By being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ put us before himself and died in our place and drew us into this community where we are to humbly serve one another. And the reason why that is so important is because pride is what can destroy a church. When, when the people who are like are settled in together saying, this is my home, if, they're, if we're acting in prideful and arrogant ways towards one another, we're going to hurt each other and we're going to ruin the community that is formed here. And so we fight for humility because that is the way we can keep our relationships and this community strong. Then he says, put on meekness. Meekness is strength under control. It's when someone knows that they're powerful, but they don't use that power to dominate other people. We live in a culture where people are pursuing power. They're they're trying to get up the ladder, all with the hope of just dominating those who are below them. And Christians are to be meek, to know, yes, I might be the most powerful person in this situation at this time, but I don't have to dominate those around me. I can serve them. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. The word there could be meek. And lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. See, Jesus showed his strength, not by dominating us, but by serving us. He in meekness, willingly goes to the cross in our place. See, Jesus is the one who opens, in his death, he opens the door for us to find rest for our souls. And when we're thinking rightly about who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ, we should have rest in our soul. That restlessness that the culture can kind of press on us goes away because we know that no matter what happens, no matter what goes on, I have Jesus Christ and I'm going to be okay. There's rest for our souls. And then he says that we are to be patient. We are to put on patience. And that means our schedule, our agenda is not the thing that takes precedent all the time. That we don't lose our cool when things don't go our way. See, patience is this lost art in our culture. Every now and then, I'll get into the spot where I'm thinking, I'm really patient. I start thinking, like, yeah, I, I've got this thing. I've figured it out. Then I go to the grocery store. And you start to think that sometimes, too. Like, yeah, I'm patient. And let somebody cut you off. Patience is this lost art. It's this difficult thing for us to master. See, 
We're impatient. We're impatient people. And in the, in the times when we lose our cool, when we're not patient, do you know what's going on? We're forgetting God. There's two things that are going on. When you find in that moment where you're like, I'm, I just, I'm angry, that thing that I want, that, that person sort of like getting in the way of my thing, when you feel the impatience, what is going on in that moment is you're forgetting God. You're forgetting his providence. You're forgetting that the thing that you're going through, the thing that I'm going through, is not by accident, that it's actually brought into your life by God. That in his love, he's actually showing you, you're not exactly where you think you are, Marv. You thought you were at a five, but you're at a 1.2 when it comes to patience. And giving you an opportunity to grow, to rest in the sovereignty of God, to say he knows best. And so, yes, my agenda is messed up. Yes, this thing is not going my way, but I'm going to trust him in the midst of it. We forget God in impatience, and then we forget other people. Sometimes the person who's frustrating us, they're, they're not even meaning to do that. Sometimes it's, it's an unintentional thing that is happening and we just completely forget about the person in front of us that they're a human being, that they're struggling with things themselves, that they're not exactly where they're supposed to be either. And so we lose our patience. See, patience is imperfect in us, but it's perfect in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1, verse 16 says, I received, Paul says this, I received mercy for, th- that, for, it, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Do you know how patient God is with us? Just think about that. Think about the things that you know about yourself. Think about the fact that you are, we are so much in process still. Think about the level of patience God shows us every day. See, when we keep in mind that we ourselves are work in progress, we can be patient with other people. When our minds are wrapped around the reality that we have not arrived yet, we will be able to do what Paul says. He says that we are to bear with one another. See it in verse 13? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, in telling believers that they're going to need to forgive each other, Paul is making it very clear that the church is never going to be this utopia. That there's, there's never a time that you are going to come here if this is home for you and it's going to be perfect and all your relationships are going to be amazing. We will hurt each other. That is a guarantee. There's a promise that we are going to hurt one another because sin is still a real reality in all of our lives. We will, for, small things, we'll forget each other's names. Sometimes you're talking to me and I'm like rolling in my head what's this person's name? And I hope you don't say, what's my name? <laughs> and, it, and I love you, but I'm like, I don't remember your name because it's a lot of you to talk to and I'm grateful for that. But sometimes that small thing hurts. We forget each other's names. An elder probably won't follow up sometimes with you as quickly as you would like. We'll get angry with one another serving together. 
We are a setup and takedown operation. It's hard work. And sometimes we come in and we're just, the energy is just not there. And so we're going to get upset. We're going to hurt one another through anger. Sometimes we're going to unintentionally exclude a person. It's an unintentional thing, but it's going to happen. But when those things happen, we, did you see it in the text? Must forgive. We must forgive. And here's why this is so important. You're like, why would he say that we must forgive? Why would he say that? Because a Christian who is unwilling to forgive another person is probably not a Christian. If someone is walking with Jesus Christ, they say they are, and someone has hurt them, and they're like unwilling to forgive somebody for years, it probably means they have no idea how much they have been forgiven, and they're not truly in Christ. Forgiveness is a thing that Christians do. This is who we are. It's part of our identity because of how much we have been forgiven. And so we forgive one another, and that's how we protect our relationships. We're going to, I said it, we're going to hurt each other. But if we look at one another and we say, I am for you and you are for me, we are in this together. This is what it means to be a brother. We are a family. This is what it means to be a brother and a sister. We're in it together. We will forgive one another and protect the unity within this community. Now, I hit that pretty hard. And I want to make a clarification here. Forgiveness and trust is not the same thing. Forgiveness and trust is not the same thing. And there's a clear picture of this in the life of David. David has been running for his life because Saul is trying to kill him. He's thrown spears at him. He sent He sent men after him, trying to wipe him out because Saul is jealous of David. He doesn't want to give up the kingship. And so he goes after him. And David has a chance to kill him in a cave, and he doesn't. And here's the interaction. This is Saul. He says, David, you're a better person than I am. You treated me with kindness. Even though I've been cruel to you, you told me how you were kind enough not to kill me when the Lord gave you the chance. If you really were my enemy, you, you wouldn't have let me, uh, let me leave here alive. I pray that the Lord will give you a big reward for what you did today. I realize that you will be the next king and a powerful king at that. Promise me with, uh, with me with the Lord as your witness that you won't wipe out my descendants. Now you're like, why do you ask that? Well, that's because in that culture, when somebody became king, the first thing they did was wipe out the entire uh, family of the previous king. Because that is a direct threat to their throne. And so what happens is as soon as the person's on the throne, they send their, their, their men, their team, and they're like, kill everyone. Because they want to hold on to their, they don't want any threats. And so Saul's like, promise me you won't wipe anybody out. And watch this. He says, let them live to keep my family name alive. And so David promised. That's the forgiveness. Because if he didn't forgive him, he would take vengeance. He says, I promise. He says, and Saul went home. Now watch this. David and his men returned to their, you say it. 
Say it louder. A little louder. Trying to wake you up. He doesn't trust him. He forgives him. But he's like, if I just go back and kick it with you, you might kill me. Forgiveness and trust is not the same thing. And David looks at him and he says, I've forgiven you. Yes, you've tried to harm me. Yes, you've asked me to do something for you. I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to put myself in harm's way again. And that's the application for us. When somebody hurts us, we are to forgive. But we don't have to put ourselves in harm's way again. We don't have to do things to allow that person to hurt us again. We need to now, with wisdom, interact with that person, understanding that hurt is a very real possibility that it could happen again, and we need to be wise. And so if you're, you've been hurt and you're struggling to forgive, forgive. But you need to be wise in how you interact. And if you're the one who's done the hurting, and you're like, I've asked for forgiveness from this person, they've given it, and they're just not interacting with me in the same way, then you need to understand that you need to build their trust back. That it's not going to be kosher right away, that it's not just going to go back to exactly where it is. And that's the thing. With, with, if you've injured yourself, often you don't go back to exactly the same way. And this is why we have to protect relationships so much. Because when we, when we wreck them, even though healing comes, it's almost never going to be exactly the same. And so if you've, the, you've been the one who's received the forgiveness, then you need to be patient and allow the person to come towards you when they're ready. And the key is just not to, just, not to wait forever, though, to work hard at trying to trust that person again. And then Paul says, above all these, put on love. He says, put on love. Love comes last, but it's not least. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. See, love binds everything together in harmony in the Christian community and in our relationships. And love is seen most clearly in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 16 says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus won the victory for us. We've sung that. And it was in his loving action of dying in our place. And now in a community of faith, we are to be compelled by love for each other. To lay down our lives. See, it's through love. It's through love that we can be compassionate. It's through love that we can be kind. It's through love that we can be humble. It's through love that we can be meek. It's through love that we can be patient and forgiving when we look at the one who is love, Jesus Christ. And so with these intentional acts, we can make our relationships within the church strong. So he tells us how to relate, how to be intentional in relating with each other in the church. But Paul also tells us how to relate to those outside the church. Look over at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer 
each person. Here's our final point. We can be intentional with our relationships by being wise in our conduct. By being wise in our conduct. That word outsiders is simply a way to refer to non-Christians. And Paul says we are to be wise around them. Now this command assumes two things. It assumes we're going to be around unbelievers a lot. That is something that is going to happen, but it also assumes that we're going to be public about our faith. And again, we, culture's hostile. It's changing a little bit. And the temptation for all of us is to hide our faith. To not start with, I'm a Christian and I was at church yesterday. I love Jesus and I'm going to small group tonight. The temptation is to say something like, yeah, I'm just going to go see a couple people that I really like. We are to be public with our faith. And when we go public, living with wisdom becomes extremely important. And here's the thing. This is not our own wisdom. It's a wisdom that comes from God. And it's a wisdom that comes through prayer. Flip back to chapter 1. Or scroll there. Chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, And, from, and so from the, the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul understands that wisdom Wisdom to live our life before those who don't share our faith comes through prayer. That we have got to ask God to give us the wisdom that we need to behave and conduct ourselves well around those who don't share our faith. He wants them to walk in wisdom because our, the way we behave, we've talked about this before, the way we behave opens the door for effective Gracious witness. And the opportunity to witness won't always be there. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. The NIV says, make the most of every opportunity. Paul wants them to have this blend of urgency mixed with wisdom. Intentional with the time that we get with those who don't share our faith because we won't always have it. Lauren Groff in her, her book of short stories says, time would not care if you fell out of it. It would continue on without you. You cannot see it. It is always blind to the human and the things we do to stave it off. The taximonies, the cleaning, the arranging, the ordering. Time just goes on. And one day you're going to fall out of it. One day I'm going to fall out of it. We don't have an infinite amount of time. And so with the time that God gives us, he's saying make the best use of it to manage ourselves well. Because you know that phrase like, you know, you got to have good time management? That's not true. You have to have good self-management. That's how you manage time. You manage yourself well. And to not waste it. 
It will go on without us. And so we have to take every opportunity to share the good news. It must be snapped up like a good bargain. And when we speak, when we speak, how we speak is really important. Verse 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. The speech has to be gracious. It cannot be arrogant and rude. First Peter 3 says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Here it is. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So often the reason why our witness is so weak is because we're just rude. Our witness is weak because we're trying to win an argument. Rather than telling people about the Savior of the world. If somebody walks away from us offended, it should always be that they're offended by the gospel, not by our delivery. The gospel offends, we know that, but we are not to offend. We have to speak with gentleness and respect. He says, seasoned with salt, gracious, with flavor to it. And gracious speech has to be informed speech. We need to be informed about the people we're talking to. It says, verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see it? Where the informed is? It's in the phrase, each person. That tells us that in our witness, as we are in relationship with those who don't share our faith, as we build those friendships, that we are to talk to them in ways that are specific to them. Every person will not require the exact same answer. Every person is going through a specific thing. Every person is seeing things from a specific way. And so they require a different answer. Different people require different answers. And you're like, so where's the intentionality? This, the intentionality comes in building the relationship. There is a place, I believe, for just walking up to somebody and saying, can I tell you about Jesus? I think there's a place for that. But I think... A stronger or just as strong, I'll say it like that. I don't want to make them fight. Just as strong is building relationships with people, getting to know them. This is where intentionality comes in. Getting to know people, finding out what are the challenges they're facing? What's going on in their life? What regrets are they living with? As we walk together, spend time, enjoy each other, you'll learn things about one another. What regrets are they working through? What trauma do they have in their life? What deep hurts are they carrying from when they, from they were young or just, just recently? How have they been hurt? And finding out what kind of questions do they have about the Bible? What kind of struggles do they have with Christians? And this is a really important one. What do they stand to lose if they trust in Christ? Do you know so many people today, because of just the way immigration works, that if they come to Jesus Christ, the people who are in the GTA now, their entire family will disown them. So like stepping over the line isn't as easy as we often think. Because there's, there's a lot to be lost for some people on a social level and on a family 
level. And learning these things take hard work. Having strong relationships requires work and wisdom. And so we have to develop these relationships. Friendship has to be built. We've got to walk with people for a long time. The, the people in this church, the unbelievers who come in and out, the unbelievers who are in your life in the day-to-day, develop relationships with them. And to learn these things about people, we've got to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's how learning happens. And when we listen well, we'll be able to speak well. When we listen well, we will be able to speak well. And God will work through our speaking to save those who are his. See, we can be intentional with our relationships. But here's what we cannot forget. Jesus has to be the center of it. We want to develop strong relationships inside our church and outside of our church. But Jesus must be the center of it because Jesus is the one who gives us the power to love one another. To have this harmony that binds everything together. Jesus is the one who empowers us by the Spirit to to be patient, to be meek, to be humble. It's only as we're constantly looking to Jesus Christ will we be able to make these strong relationships. And it's only when we're looking at Jesus Christ and the love that he has for us that we will constantly have the courage to be bold about our faith. Because sometimes what fears, what we fear is that we are going to be rejected. Yes, people are going to reject us, but Jesus Christ is never going to reject you. We are his. And he will hold us to the end. And so yes, as a church, we're committed to relating well to one another as believers and we're committed to working hard to relate well to those who don't share our faith. But all of that is with Jesus right in the middle, the center of it all, the one who gave all for us and calls us to love one another and love those who don't share our faith. And the way we love those who don't share our faith best is by prayerfully asking the Spirit as we walk in relationship with them to give us the courage to tell them about the one who can save them. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who needs to be the center of our lives. The one who is the embodiment of all that we've talked about here. Jesus was patient and kind and compassionate and meek towards us, ones who were once lost. Showed us patience and grace. Grace is seen in his willingness to die in our place. And now in His grace has called us into a community of faith where we are to love one another so that there would be unity and peace, harmony, what the Bible talks about, and calls us to love others who aren't Christians but are image bearers, who share our common humanity, who work through the struggles we have to work through, and to love them enough to get to know them, to love them enough to build strong friendships with them, and to love them enough to courageously tell them about your son. Please help us 
to do that. And Father, I pray that you, you would be, your son would be the center of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.